This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. The topic of discussion is Imunam Bitachon. Those of you who know a little bit of what I do know that I'm involved 12, 13 hours a day in dating. I just came back from Dallas. I have some interesting stories. It was all a, sh- it was a sh- singles event from between 30 to 50. And, um, Baruch Hashem. So it's good to be here, and I'll share with you guys what's going on, and give you a chizuk in this very, very interesting chapter of your life. The most important thing we must understand is that Hashem has already chosen the person you will marry. Please put the uh, telephones on silent, it's really important lessons here. We're not the ones who are going to decide who we're going to marry. That decision has already been made a long time ago by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when you were in your mother's womb. The Torah tells us very clearly regarding Shiduchim, Me'et Hashem Haitazot. It's going to come from Hashem. We can tell you neither bad or good. The only thing is that you have to remember Hashem has decided that. Our attitude towards the Shiduch must be one of absolute imuna, realizing and acknowledging that Hashem Barach is the matchmaker. I got a phone call, by the way, from a woman in upstate New York who was beside herself because there was some issue with regards to Gerut and her family three, four generations above, and like nobody wanted to date her son and her daughter. And I said to her, you really have, this is three months ago. I said to her, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has everything in store for you guys, you'll see. As a matter of fact, he was in a certain yeshiva and he was a sort of like not getting, he was getting the cold shoulder from the yeshiva on Halah itself. Baruch Hashem, within two months, one is engaged, one is about to be engaged. It happens quick. It's amazing. When you have Aymunah. The Hazunish said that in matters related to Shidduchim, you could see the clear hand of Hashem. Anyone who merely opens his eyes to see how Hashem orchestrates everything, so that every given Shidduch will come about will recognize this themselves. Talk to anyone how they met their soulmate, and they'll tell you the most incredible way. So many different stories out there. Just, you have to be willing to let Hashem run the show. The problems begin when we mix into Hashem's business and impose our opinions on the matter. I got to do it this way. I want this one. It's going to have to happen the way I want it to go down. And when that happens, health of skelter takes place. You lose everything. When it comes to Shiduchim, everyone seems to become a professor, declaring who's right for them, who's not, who's rich enough, and who isn't, etc., etc. To be very cautious with that. So let me share an incredible story with you. Many years ago, a girl was spending Sukkot with her family in the Galil, in a beautiful resort. And it was Holmoyed, and she's nine years old, and she's taking her baby sister, her baby sister, her mother told her, could you take Hannah out for a stroll in the stroller? So she started going down the, the, in the, on the grounds of the hotel to some beautiful paths. And she's walking with her, she sees a nice tree, and they're hanging out, when she went a little too far and there were a bunch of bullies that didn't seem to be religious at all coming towards her. She got petrified and the first thing she did was she left her sister alone, not a good move, and she ran up the tree. So she's on the tree because she's afraid of these boys, they're hooligans. And these guys started now creating a nightmare for her. They came and they started to shake the tree left and right. And she's swinging back and forth. She's hysterical. What's going to be with me? When suddenly, a boy is about 13 years old, come on in, religious boy with a kippah, comes over, and he sees what's going on, and he wants to help her. And he looked at him and he said, get lost kid, and he sees what's going on, so he tells him, leave her alone. 
He said, if you don't walk away, you're going to get a knuckle sandwich. And suddenly a fight breaks out as he kicks them in the shins. And now all these hooligans pounce on him. Meanwhile, she runs down the tree and he tells her, go back to the hotel. Go back. Now they start pouncing on him. One guy takes a two by four piece of wood and whacks him. She runs back to the hotel and she's wondering what happened to the boy. Well, she didn't have to wait for long. 20 minutes later, someone comes in carrying him in a pool of blood. And Hatzalah is brought in and she's wondering what happened to him. And the mother told her later that he was taken to the hospital, to the emergency room where he's recovering. Okay. The years go by and she's 19 years old. She's a catch. And every time she goes out with a boy, it doesn't take. It just doesn't go. Now she's 21, 22, 23. Someone mentions that there's a great boy in the yeshiva named Yehuda. And she goes out with the boy. He has great midot and she's really enjoying his company. It's going really well. After the second date, she's thinking, maybe should I do it again or should I not do it again? And they pushed her, you know, try it again. By date number five... She's with him, but she's ready to tell him she's not interested. When he looks at her and he says, I know, I know. It's the scar, right? He had a very bad scar on his face. And she says to him, yeah, I can't get over the scar on your face. I know, he says, everywhere I go, I'm reminded of the scar. I can't run away from this scar. What can I do? That's what Hashem wanted from me. She says to him, can I ask you how you got the scar? And she tells her, well, no, not too many people ask me, but I'll tell you anyway. When I was young, I was, I was with my parents. It was a holiday, so we were in the Galil. There was this little girl who was being roughed up by a bunch of hooligans. I came to her rescue, and one of the boys took a two-by-four wood that had a nail sticking out, and they gashed my face. And she turns white as a ghost. You're the one who saved my life. That's you. Exact same location. The exact same date. And she says, I was ready to give up a star. I was ready to look at superficiality. Ultimately, they married. I want, you to, I want to read you what she wrote. Nothing happens by chance. Hashem is in charge of everything. Every day I thank Hashem for my wonderful husband and for the amazing way that He brought us together. And when I means Hashem runs the show. And that's what we have to always remember. My joy is indescribable. In one split second, all my doubts about, about the boy vanished in air. The very scar which had led me to reject this man now caused me to answer yes to his marriage proposal. That night we agreed to become engaged. And we've been living wonderfully in a beautiful marriage for 10 years. Imunah, that Hashem runs the show and He's responsible for our life. We have to live with Imunah and allow Hashem to direct us. Of course, not only is Imunah necessary in the search for our Shiduch, it's the very foundation of our lives. So important is it that it's the first mitzvah of the 613 mitzvot and the Aseret Before you go anywhere, you've got to build a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Before marriage or even in the first few years of marriage, a person may feel that they know Torah, that they grew up, that they went to a great yeshiva, a great Bet Yaakov. However, realize that as you get older, and you have some hardships in life, and some problems, Imunah is the only thing that will keep you going. Ask anybody who's been married 10, 15, 20 years. And they'll tell you, if not for Imunah, they would have... I had a very interesting... 
telephone conference today with a couple from the West Coast, Las Vegas. And the woman is telling me how Imuna has saved her. She has a set of twins. The twins don't talk to each other, boy and girl. The boy doesn't talk to the father. If not for the fact that she said she had Imuna, she would have fallen apart. I'm learning now with the father. I'm trying to get the Shalom Bayit back into the system. But Imuna is what holds the cards. And that's very important. We have to always remember that we have to work that program. We can sometimes see how many people who may fulfill all that the Torah requires and be careful with Torah mitzvot and they may be even accomplished in that. Yet when it comes to emunah, they're woefully deficient. This can often be detected when things don't go the way you want or plan. How do you behave when things don't go your way? Do you smile or do you get upset and start complaining? And if you start complaining, all that does is start a vicious cycle of more problems. Because Hashem looks down and He says, you don't like the way I'm running your life? No problem. We'll let you, you know, run to your own devices. And things only get worse. We have to live with the Imunah that there's nothing other than Hashem. He alone rules our world and this entire world. Everything comes from His hands. It's Hashem who has made, makes and will make everything. And greatness, wealth, honor, or everything that we have in our life is in His hands. When our Imunah is strong in all these areas, we'll be able to love Hashem unequivocally and we'll want to fulfill His will. We need to approach Shidduchim with the same Imunah we feel relative to any other mitzvah. Such as wearing tefillin or, uh, or lighting the candles on Shabbat. Ask ourselves the following question. What does Hashem want from me? And how can I fulfill his, the mitzvah and give Him pleasure? A Jew who takes that approach will find that all the mitzvot he does, he does per- properly or she does properly. We have to remember the famous statement of our rabbis. The objective of knowledge is to know that we don't know. And Hashem makes matches. There's an intriguing midrash, maybe you've heard, that illustrates this beautiful point. There was a noble woman, a Roman noble woman, who asked Rabbi Yossi ben Halafta, how many days did it take Hashem, your God, to create the world? And he answered her, it took six days. And she says, what's he up to since then? And he, tell, and she tell, he tells her, from, since then he's been making matches. So he says to her, he's been making matches. He says, the daughter of so-and-so will go to the son of so-and-so. She says, what's the big deal? I can do that also. How many servants and how many servants do I have? I can match them all. So she lines up 2,000 men, 2,000 women, and she says, you, Joe, you're going to go with this one, Antonia. You, Jose, you'll go with Judy, etc. She ordered 2,000 servants and 2,000 maidservants to be brought to her. And she had them line up. The next morning they came to her. This one's head was injured. This one had an eye pulled out. This one had a broken arm. She sent immediately for Rabbi Yossi ben Halafta and she told them, Rabbi, your Torah is true. It's pleasant and praiseworthy. Everything you said was right. It's true that your God is making matches. Let me share an incredible story with you. One of the Gedolei Hador from Europe came unannounced one day to a yeshiva. He was one of the great leaders of the, you know, the Jewish community in Europe, in Poland. No one knew he was coming, he came by surprise. No preparations had been made, and it was a typical day in the yeshiva. Besides all those who were in the Bit Midrash, there were some students who happened to be in the hallway at that time. This Godal Hador entered the yeshiva and extended his hand to the first boy he saw with a heartwarming Shalom Aleichem. And began a friendly conversation with the boy. The startled boy was awestruck 
as he suddenly found himself speaking with one of the Godoy Hador. Imagine Hacham when he was alive, just walking in to some random yeshiva in Yerushalayim and striking up a conversation with some boy in the hallway. This is what's taking place right now. The boy was shocked because they took literally months to get two minutes of an appointment with such a person. He was a Gadol Hador. And here he was, wearing his plain weekday clothes. Had he known that the Gadol Hador would be coming, he would have changed into his Shabbat outfit. Ask, after asking the boy his name and a bit about his family, the tzaddik asked, do you know how to learn Torah a little bit? He says, I know a little. So they both went into a library and just happened to pull, pull off the shelf one sefer, Mesichet Pesachim. Let's see how well he could learn, said the tzaddik. And the two entered into one of the yeshiva libraries, which was quiet at the time. He walked over to the shelves, and he pulled off the sefer, Mesichet Pesachim. Let's open up to any page. Okay, and they, pulled, they opened up to some page in the sefer, this Gemara, and the rabbi said, let's talk it over. It happened to be one of the most difficult passages in Gemara. And the boy knew it well. Let's just follow the story, it's amazing. He explained it to the tzaddik with clarity. He even had hidushim on the subjects. The biggest surprise though came at the end of the conversation when the rabbi, this Gadol Ador, asked the astonished young man, would you be willing to become my son-in-law? This possibility had never crossed the mind of the young man. And the whole exchange had been merely a test to find out if he was worthy enough to become this Gadol Hador's son-in-law. And the boy said, I certainly agree. I'd be very happy to accept this tremendous honor. I have no doubt my parents will enthusiastically accept this shidduch. If so, the tzaddik concluded, then Bezat Hashem, in the future I'll be in touch with you and we'll conclude matters. The rabbi left the room very happy that Hashem had sent him such a wonderful and pleasant young man from such a fine family, who was a Tamid Hacham. As the rabbi made his way out of the room, he met up with the Rosh HaYeshiva of the Yeshiva. Along with the rest of the staff, because the word had gone out that this Gadol Hador had come by surprise for a sneak visit to their Yeshiva. And, we, and they asked him, to what do we owe the honor of having out the great leader of the generation come to visit us today? The Rav explained that he had a daughter who had reached marriageable age, and he had come to choose a fine Hatan for her. The Rosh Yeshiva responded that there were, Baruch Hashem, many great Elohim. Elohim are geniuses in my Yeshiva. And he named off some of them. The Tzaddik was surprised that the boy that he learned with, that he had chosen, was not one of the boys that the Rosh Yeshiva had enumerated. Apparently, he wasn't on the same level as the other boys. To everyone's astonishment, the Rav said, I already found someone, I'm good. Which boy, the Rosh Yeshiva said? And he told him the one that he had learned with. Now you, you gotta be kidding. He's not even anything close to some of the guys that I have in this school. You gotta be kidding. He's just not in the same league. I wouldn't think of him as a shidduch for your daughter. You're the Gadol Hador. There are many other fine young men who are much more talented and accomplished than he is. The best of the best. I can offer you such better boys. Surprised, the tzaddik said, I chose a random Gemara from the bookcase. It opened up to one of the most complicated portions in Shas. And the Bachar displayed great knowledge and impressive lumdas. means you know how to learn. Why would you say that he's not one of the better students of your yeshiva? The truth is, the Rosh Yeshiva explained, that this boy is definitely not one of the top students of the yeshiva. He's just average. 
If the rabbi will test him on any other sefer or mesechet, you'll see, for whatever reason, he particularly likes that specific sefer, and he's good at it, but he's not that bright. The Rosh Hashifah was not deterred. If so, in this case, the Torah is shouting out to me. This matter comes from Hashem. He's choosing the Shidduch. I entered the yeshiva, not knowing who I'm going to meet. And here Hashem sent me this specific bacher. Had me choose this particular mesechet, and had me open to one sugya that the bacher knows backwards and forwards. To me, there's no better indication that this comes from Hashem. So the point that we made at the beginning of the lesson is that if we look to twist things, and we put our own interests in it, we can mess things up badly. But when we leave it to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it works. You know, there's a great Devar Torah that I read last week. Rabbi Zechariah Wallerstein, who's famous to help in his area as well, was an 8th grade Rebbe in a yeshiva called Yeshiva of Crown Heights, which is in Mill Basin. He's no longer doing it because he's now more involved with older girls. But anyway, there happened to have been a wedding of one of the graduates that he had in school when he was in 8th grade. Now, 10, 12 years later, they're sitting at, the, at this wedding. They're sitting at this boy's wedding, and seated next to him is the boy's brother, Howie, who happened to be a mischievous type of a kid. And when he was in eighth grade, though he wasn't in Rabbi Wallerstein's class, they threw him out. And it's unfortunate because when you throw out a boy or a girl, they can sometimes go off to their... And this guy went off. He was sitting in the wedding with his girlfriend. He had tattoos all over him. And so when the boy, Nahatan, came out, the rabbi grabs this Howie. He says, come, let's go for the first dance. So they go for the first dance, and as they're dancing, he says, you know what, I feel really terrible. You weren't in my class. I feel really terrible you were thrown out. And he says, Rabbi, that's my girlfriend. I met her in the Himalayan mountains. We're both Buddhists now. Yes, we're both Buddhists. So the rabbi was a bright guy. He says, you know what, every Tuesday night I give a class in Brooklyn. I want you to come and talk to our class. Tell us about Buddhism. Very, very bold, you know, offer. Okay, fine. So they hug. And they say, we'll see you Tuesday night. Tuesday night comes, and Howie comes, and Howie talks about the advantages of the ma'alot of Buddhism. When the rabbi shoots out from the back, you know, why are all Buddhists fat? If they're gods, why can't they lose some weight? Can you tell me a little bit about that? So he sort of got a little flustered, and they made up a little bit, and he started coming to the rabbi's class every week. After a few months, he dropped the G, got rid of her, and... The rabbi says, you know what? I have to go to Israel to see how some of my graduates are doing. Why don't you come with me? I'll set you up in yeshiva. I'll find one that's good for you. So fine. So they decided they're going to go together. The rabbi paid for his plane ticket. They went. He found the yeshiva. He set him up. And he told them, be in touch. And time to time, the boy Howie would call. A few months go by. And Howie says, you know what? I'm loving it, rabbi. I want to get married. He says, no. So what's the problem? He says, it's not going to happen in Israel, rabbi. You don't understand, I have, I have tattoos of Buddha all over my body. He says, you know what, you're doing well there. That means things are going well for you. It'll go. Just keep at it. A couple of months go by, and Howie calls Rabbi Wallstein, and he tells him, I've been introduced to a girl by one of my Rebbeim, and I'm going out with her. It's going good. But i got to tell you something, I'm so embarrassed that on 90 degree days, I wear turtlenecks, so she doesn't see my, my, my tattoos. So the rabbi says, you know what? If it's meant, it's going to go. A couple of weeks go by, and he's ready to pop the question to her. And she's expecting that he's going to ask her to marry him. But the first thing he says, I have to tell you the truth. You know, he realized that I'm always covered up. 
It's because I have a little bit of a past. I have tattoos all over my body. Here's where Imuna comes in. She looks at him and she says, the only tattoo I see is your great soul. That's it. And then he said, will you marry me? And she, he, she said, yes. Imuna means that there's someone intended for you. Keep it simple, don't complicate matters, and Rabbi Shalom knows what he's doing. Give me a second. Okay. So, sometimes you wonder. Sometimes a boy or girl will have to meet with a number of people, go out on numerous dates, to people that have suggested before they find their true shidduch. We've been taught that it's announced in Shemayim which girl or which boy is destined for the person. Hashem asks the malachim who they feel is suitable, and the malachim suggest potential candidates until the bat call rings out and announces the daughter and so-and-so. So if you've got to go out with 15 or 20 boys, it's because 15 malachim had something to say about your shidduch. Until the one Hashem decides for you. Right? Some people find the shidduch in the first or second person they meet, whereas others have to go through a long list of suggestions. Only Hashem knows why this is so. And sometimes every one of us have a, have a certain plan, have a certain path in life. We just have to go with the flow. The Sefer Hasidim explains that sometimes HaKadosh Baruch Hu orchestrates wars between countries so that someone will end up going to a different country and find the shidduch. What are we doing here? If not for all the wars that took place in the Middle East. Right? Shouldn't we have been in Syria or Egypt or Lebanon? But Hashem sometimes turns over history, turns over worlds in order to be able to produce the next group and the next category of husbands and wives. Whatever has to be, has to be done. Although every person shidduch comes solely from Hashem, no one should mistakenly conclude that you should just sit back in their home and wait for the shidduch to come in through the window. You have to know that you're expected, you know that Hashem is taking care of it, but... There's got to be effort. So there's a cute story that I have to share with you about a guy who finished the IDF in Israel. You know, what's the most, what's the most famous place that an Israeli soldier, once he's done, likes to go to? India. They go, they go to the, as my Rebbe, Rick the Miller would say, they go to the junkyards of India. Seeking spirituality. Okay, so this fellow ends up in India, he's 21 years old, and he's going from guru to guru to guru, trying to find himself. When he ends up at the top of the top, the Dai Lama, who's considered like the Kohen Gadol of the Zach, right? The Dai Lama is like, uh, to them, he's a Mr. Big. So he, he tells him, he tells the Gabayim, I'd like to ask him if I can join his movement. The Dai Lama, who's like the Kohen of Avodah Zarah, takes him into the room and he says, where are you from? He says, Israel. Look at what he tells him. He goes, you're going to settle for an imitation when you have the real thing? Everyone knows that all religions in the world are copycats of Judaism. Don't waste your time here. Go back and go and discover your roots. Imagine the head of the Abu Zarah telling him this. It gets more interesting. So he gets back on the plane. He goes, if this fellow, who people travel from all over the world to have two, 10 seconds or a minute of their time, tells me that I have the real thing, that Judaism is the real thing, I shouldn't be wasting my time? I got to go back. And from there, he starts the path to doing tshuva, and he rediscovers Judaism. Many, many Israelis, this happens to. In Israel, they can't get it right. They come here, or come elsewhere, and something turns on. Anyway, so he became now from, he's religious, and he wants, he goes to a, uh, a shatchan, shatchanit, and she sets him up with someone, who like himself had traveled the same path, a woman that had been 
not religious and now had gone to seminary and rediscovered herself. When they got engaged, they, uh, he decided, I want to go take care of the Shat Khan. You know, I have to give her a present. So he says to the Shat Khan, he's getting ready to give her a thousand shekel note. And she says, it's not, don't give it to me. Because I didn't get the credit for the Shidduch. And she asked, so who did? Well, you won't believe this. She came in with a note signed by the Dai Lama that there's a great boy that she needs to find and locate in Israel. That's the boy that she should marry. So, here we go, where we see the Rabbana Sha'alam will sometimes use even Gohim to make a Shidduch. And that's what brought them together. It's very, very interesting. Okay, let me just tell you something. There was a meeting, there was a Shaur being given to Rashal Marush, who wrote the Garden of Imunah. There were two brothers who came. One was religious, and one was not. The non-observant young man came to one of the Shi'urim, and this time he brought his brother, an observant Jew. While the former was optimistic, the guy that wasn't religious was a happy-go-lucky guy. The guy that supposedly was Shomesh Shabbat was depressed, complaining about a long list of worries, all my problems, I can't make enough panasah, problems with my children, nagging and complaining. He says, nothing goes right in my life. Were it not for my brother who's not religious, who's a source of strength for me, I would have given up. So the rabbi told him, your attitude, you have a problem with your attitude. And he says to the rabbi, what do you mean? I keep Shabbat, I eat kosher food, I give tzedakah, I I send my children to religious schools, and I live a life of poverty. My brother doesn't keep anything. He's swimming in money in Tel Aviv. How do you understand that? And the rabbi told him, you obviously think that as long as you don't break any laws, you don't deserve any troubles at all, but you're missing the main point. Torah and mitzvot should be bringing you closer to Imuna. You should be thanking Hashem for your life. Instead, all you do is complain. Failing to thank Hashem for everything in your life will bring only judgment upon you. And all sorts of suffering will follow. Hashem has no joy from all the Torah that you learn and the mitzvot that you keep. That means that you can be Shomer Shabbat and you think you're religious, but you complain and you criticize and you're negative. That gives HaKadosh Baruch Hu no pleasure whatsoever. Your brother, who's not that religious, gives God more pleasure. And don't worry. You know what? Because he discovered what it means to have a connection to Hashem. That he may not be religious right now, but he accepts life with happiness and joy. And he's happy with his life. In time, he'll become religious. And he'll outpace you. But you think that you're serving Hashem correctly. But you're not happy with anything. You complain about everything. That's the source of all your problems. Look at your attitude and change that attitude. The key is that we have to remember that just as we bless Hashem for the good, we thank Hashem for also the stuff that doesn't work out. Because Imunah means whatever happens in my life is all for the best. And we have to accept it. And when something doesn't go my way, you say, thank you Hashem for that. That's the best way to stop and arrest the problem. Let me close with a beautiful story. And uh, we'll take it from there. There was a kibbutzah, there was a group of people that were in Haram Minuchot, which is a cemetery, that were there for the 10th yard site of one of the family members, and there was a minyan there, they wanted to say Kaddish. Down the road, they saw a car come up the road in the cemetery, a young man comes out, and he takes two poles, and he sticks them in the ground, and then he unrolls a huge oak tag, and it says, will you marry me? And they're like, what's going on here? 
This is the most bizarre sight we've ever seen. This is no place to make a proposal. And they were very upset when they wanted to go down the mountain and give them a piece of his mind, of their mind. Like, what do you think? You're making fun of this? Of, of, of people getting married? This is no place. This is, you have to act serious here. By the time they got down to the mountain, the guy got into his car and scooted off. 15 minutes later, he comes back. The passenger seat was a girl, she comes out, she sees it, she starts crying, she says, yes, yes, I'll marry you. Now they have to get the story. What's going on here? So they come down the mountain, and he said, what's going on here? What, this is a cemetery. Can you please explain to us? And the, the boy and girl are wondering, so the boy says, you better tell them, tell them the story. And she tells them the story. She says, let me give you a little bit of background. I grew up in a very religious home. My father was a rabbi whose entire life was devoted to Torah mitzvot. And all my brothers and sisters were stereotypical cookie-cutter good goody-goodies. When I was in 8th grade, I started wandering off the derech. But I was so smart that the school couldn't figure it out. I was able to fake them out through high school. When I got into seminary, they were a little too smart for me. They saw that I wasn't they, so up and up, and they threw me out after 30 days. Which was a big bullshit to my family. We were considered a very prestigious family in Israel. But my father didn't get upset with me. I started, the minute I was kicked out, my entire wardrobe flipped. I went from being tzanua to wearing short cutoffs, and I, I dyed my hair blonde, and I had rings all over me, nose, ear, everything, tongue, you name it. And here were my, my parents living in Geula, in this very religious section of Yerushalayim, and my parents didn't utter a word, nothing but warmth and praise. My father said to me, you come here Tuesday and Thursday, you can live in the home, there's no problem. And every Tuesday and Thursday, I'm going to take walks with you. My father, to his embarrassment, would walk me in the street where I was dressed with my cut-off jean shorts. He didn't say a word. He gave me support and love. I decided, every time I decided to frustrate their lives, I would show up to the weddings of my brothers and sisters dressed the way I was dressed. They didn't, nobody said a word. Only support. I moved out. I dropped Judaism. For 10 years, I lived a very secular life. After 10 years of not talking to my family, I decided the time had come that I had realized I wanted to come back to Judaism. And so what I did was, I started to daven, and I started saying to Helim, and now I was going to keep my first Shabbat in 10 years. I couldn't wait for Shabbat to be over so I can call my mother and tell her I was now back. But unfortunately, after Shabbat, instead of me making the first call, the first call came in to me. Mom, mom, my mother called me and says, Sarit, Sarit, tevoach shav le, le, le hospital, a bit holim. Abba's not doing well. Apparently her father had had a heart attack on that Shabbat. And by the time she got to the emergency room, it was over. He passed away. And she was crying hysterically. Abba, how could you do this to me? I was going to make you so proud of me that I came back. I wanted to show you that I was religious. And she's telling the group in the, in the cemetery, the following day was his, was his funeral, I fainted. And then they, I, you know, they, 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 you know, they brought me back. They were, you know, and gave me some water to drink. And the next few years was my road back to Judaism. And after a couple of years, a shidduch was suggested to me by a young man, this young man standing next to me, who basically traveled the same road I had traveled in life. He had had ups and downs, and he had left Judaism and come back. And so he was wondering, where would be the best place in the world that he could ask me to marry him and become his wife? And he said, you know what? Let's go do it by Abba, your father. He never passed away. He sees everything. Let's give him the nachat that he should get because he should, he should be able to see that you came back and you are now a true Bat Yisrael. And she thought her life was hopeless after what she went through. Who would want her? 
In the end, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has a lid for every cover. Everyone. Every one of us has that person that's for us. Our job is to just walk with Hashem with simplicity. Don't twist things like a pretzel. Don't try to make it too sophisticated. Don't try to just, I need this, I need that, and get into excessive lists and lists and more lists. I've had a 55-year-old guy that came to me for a shiduch recently. Three type page lists of what he wants in a woman. I said, what are you, what are you smoking? Three type page lists of what you want? No wonder you're single. <laughs> I don't think you'll ever get married. I doubt he'll ever get married. They try to put, you know, customized, as they say in my business with Ash, you know, Ashkenazim, build the bacher. Go build me the perfect guy. Like build the beer. We don't do that. The girls, I t- I'll tell you, keep it stupid and simple. Look for three things. Kasan, Kamsan, Kapdan. Done. As far as Midot, does he have anger issues? Does he have issues of generosity? Or is he inflexible? Those are the three critical areas to look out for in a guy. Other than that, look for a person who's growing. Someone who's interested in, in growing. Someone where Torah is going to be a vital part of his life. Torah is the navigation. It's so important. Without that, you got problems. And I see this all the time. My job is to... A lot of people come and sit with me. And my job is to try to get them closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Once they do that, you're on target. Because that's going to be the glue that's going to hold you in life. When you have your rough days, it's going to strengthen you. And Hashem, when you have your smachot, it's my berachah that I should have the honor and pleasure to dance at the wedding of everyone in this room. Thank you so much for inviting me. I wish this wonderful institution, as they continue their marvelous work of educating the next leaders of our community. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.